0: Why do people do crazy things? Why do people swim with sharks <laughs> or wrestle alligators? Uh, those are apex predators. Uh, if you take a look into the fossil record, you will see they have been around for a long time, meaning uh, they are very good at eating Things and possibly people, yet uh, some people think it's a great idea to swim with them or to wrestle uh, an alligator. Why do people go bungee jumping or cliff diving? I mean, doesn't the old saying go, you know, if your friends jumped off a bridge, would you? You know, the answer should be no, no, I, that's crazy, but people still go skydiving and bungee jumping and cliff diving and all sorts of other random things? Why do people leave it all behind and travel all over the world? Or why would someone put a backpack on their back and spend months hiking through the mountains or through the French countryside? Or why would people go rafting down a raging river? Like you're standing on the side of the bank, you see uh, like raging river water and you go, I want to put a boat on that. Why? That's crazy. Why would, you, why would you want to do something like that? There, there seems to be a strange drive within humans that makes us want to do crazy things. And, and it's not just the adventurer, it's also uh, the inventor or uh, the engineer who, who says, I want to build a taller skyscraper. Why? Someone is just going to come right behind you and build one even taller. So so why are we trying to uh, do better, build it bigger, uh, improve on the light bulb? Like the light bulb works just fine. Why are we still um, seeking to, to do bigger? We, we want to take you know these little devices and, and, and make them smaller and smarter and better and, and get all of the world's technology right in the palm of our head. You know, we're, we're trying to, to, to do these things and, and go further and go faster. And uh, we we take cars and we soup them up just to see how fast they'll go. Why? I don't know, people are crazy. You know, so why do people do um, things like that? It doesn't seem to make any sense at all. Um, in addition, people go out and they just work harder to accumulate more stuff. Uh, they, they take the iPhone 6, which they loved and cherished, but as they're standing in line for the iPhone 7, they think the 6 is the stupidest thing they've ever had and and it's why do people do that type of thing it doesn't it doesn't seem to make sense there seems to be a strange drive in people that drives us to do crazy things in addition this strange drive also has a dark side a sinful side Meaning, what causes the drug addict to continue even though he knows it's killing him? What causes the person to go back and view pornography again and again and again, even though they know it's going to make them feel dirty, guilty, and full of shame? What causes a person, what drives a person to cheat on their spouse? What makes a grown man spend hours playing video games and neglecting his family? What drives a person to want to change their sexual identity? What drives a person to want to stay in an abusive relationship what makes a person go into a public place and open fire or blow themselves up that this is crazy why do people do crazy things well here's how most of us would answer that question i mean that's a huge question and most of us would just chalk it up to simply that people are crazy as a matter of fact the great theologian billy currington says god is great beer is good and people are crazy here's the problem with that answer, though. That answer creates a, those people out there, right? Those people out there are crazy, and it lacks a real honest look at ourselves. Meaning, we have been the people who have done those crazy things. Every single one of us in here has been driven, some type of drive within us, has been driven to do something that has been destructive to our lives. We know that it's destructive. We know that it's bad. We know that we shouldn't do it, but we do it anyway. So, so what makes us do that? What is that drive to do things that we know we shouldn't do, the crazy things? Well, the real answer is this. Man has a restless soul. Man has a restless soul. Humanity, men, women, all over the globe, all over the planet, every person everywhere has a restless soul. And it is that restless soul that drives us or pushes us. There's there's an aching sense of, of, I I can't put my finger on it, but I, I need something. And, and so maybe it is in building that skyscraper, when I, when I finally build the tallest one in the world, I can stand back and look at it, and my restless soul will finally say, yes, I now feel satisfied and complete. Maybe, maybe if I go racing down this raging river in this tiny raft, somewhere at the end of this raging river, my soul will say, yes, I'm satisfied. Maybe if, if I have this, this extramarital relationship, maybe at the end of it, maybe, maybe that, that thing in my soul that, that's aching, that, that, that emptiness that I'm feeling, maybe it will be satisfied. Maybe if I go back to that website just one more time, it, the, the satisfaction of my soul could only be just a few more clicks away. And we're searching and we're looking, trying to have our souls Satisfied. It's, it's that thing, where, and everybody in here has done this. You open up, okay, you open up the refrigerator, you look in there. Someone says to you, what are you doing? You're like, I don't know. I, I want something, but I don't know what it is. You close it, and you open it right back up. <laughs> right? And you look back in there again, like, I, uh, I thought if I closed the door, maybe something different would be in there, but it's just the same stuff. I want something, but I don't know what it is. That is the condition of the human soul. Restless, not satisfied, looking for something here, there. If I can buy it, if I can, if I can touch it or taste it or feel it, maybe, maybe this thing, this restlessness that I'm feeling would somehow go away. In the garden, man was created to find his rest, his hope, his joy, his peace, his ultimate satisfaction in God himself. As a matter of fact, the Westminster Confession, uh, if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. Uh, The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So the cure um, for the restless soul uh, is God himself. It is, it is the only thing that can satisfy the restless soul is, is God himself. And so ever since man left the garden, because sin entered into the garden We were kicked out of the garden and ever since man left the garden, he has been seeking this rest. He has been looking for some type of satisfaction to his soul, but to no avail because that satisfaction and rest for the human soul can only be found in God. So we're left saying humanity, people everywhere are saying, I can find rest in something else And the truth is, we simply can't. Romans 1, 21 through 23 says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for immortal images resembling man and birds and animals and creeping things." This is an indictment on humanity that they there refers to all of us. We, we know that God is there, but we refuse to acknowledge him. We refuse to worship him. We refuse to give him his rightful glory and we set out away from the garden, moving away from him, away from his presence saying, out there is rest for my soul. Out there I can be satisfied. Out there I can find meaning, hope, and purpose. And we take God whom whom deserves all of our praise, all of our worship, all of our glory. We move him off to the side and we seek for things that are mortal to, to fill that eternal gap deep within our souls and our foolish hearts and minds are darkened. That's that's the terrible reality of humanity. So again, as we turn on the news, as we look out into the world, as we're curious about why we made these decisions, or as we look at a family member who keeps making the same mistake and we're saying, why do they keep doing this? Why do I keep doing this? It's because we have a restless soul. It's because we've turned away from God We've sought the world to satisfy our soul, and it simply can't. Here's the good news. God in his great mercy sent his son Jesus to reconcile the relationship back together. So as we have turned from the garden and and, and we said, I don't need you, God. I don't want peace with you. I don't want rest with you. I don't want my eternal soul to be satisfied with you, in you, and in your presence. I want something else. We're the ones who have have broken and distorted the relationship, yet God in his great love and his great mercy, he sent Jesus to reconcile us back together. He sent Jesus as the great mediator to, to put one hand on us as humanity and put the other hand on God and bring us back together so that our souls and our hearts and our minds could be satisfied and find hope and peace and rest and meaning in this world. I mean, isn't that what you're really looking for? I mean, aren't you looking for rest? Aren't you looking for peace and hope in this dark and terrible world? Aren't you saying, what is the answer? Well, the answer is Jesus. Jesus. It's life in him. It's rest in him. It's chasing after him. It's drinking deeply of Christ. It's learning more about Jesus. It's looking more to Jesus. It's trying to be more like Jesus. It's gathering with other people on Sunday mornings, praising Jesus. It's living our lives throughout the rest of the week with one another, trying to to, to be disciples and be more like Christ and, and helping other people do that. It's expanding the kingdom of God. It's preaching the gospel. That's where we find the rest that our souls are really looking for. So why don't more people do that? I mean, I just got a few yeses and amens. I mean, we all believe that, right? We believe that to be true, and, and, and some of us even tell our coworkers, we tell our family members, hey, what you're ultimately searching for, you're never going to find in this relationship. What you're ultimately searching for, you're never going to find over here or over there. It's right here in God's word. It's Jesus himself. It's his person and his work. That's what will ultimately satisfy your soul. Why don't more people believe that? I mean, again, did anybody see a massive traffic jam this morning? cars everywhere just, just trying to get into churches to, to hear God's word? No, nah, we didn't see that, did we? And, and here's, again, an even deeper question. Us who know that truth and believe that truth, why do we often step away from it even though we know it to be true? Why, why do I... Um, often think I can find satisfaction in other things, ultimate satisfaction. Why do I think that? I mean, I know it's not true, but, but I, I catch myself over here. And I go, oh, wait, I, I know that's not true. I, I gotta get back. So what, what gets me over there? What, what's stopping more people from believing the truth? So many people have believed the lie of the world. That's why. Why don't, why don't more people believe that Jesus is the ultimate satisfaction for their souls? Because they believe the lie of the world. Why do I find myself sometimes getting pulled and, and, and starting to believe that and then I gotta, I gotta get back to the word? I gotta, I, I gotta get back with some brothers who, who will help speak the gospel into my life so I'll believe this truth? Because we are heavily influenced by the lie of the world. Listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 2. We've already looked at this text in our study, but we're going to look at it again this morning because it will help us understand what John means when he says we've overcome the world. 1 John 2.16 says this, for all that is in the world, okay, so, so when John says world, um, he doesn't mean the planet, nor does he mean humanity. Um, what he means is the world's system which is anti-Christ or against Jesus and his followers. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about a system or a worldview that is against Jesus and against his followers. And now he's going to describe what that system is. For all that is in the world, three things here that we'll look at, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. We can categorize the lie of the world like this. We have what you want. That's the lie of the world. The lie of the world says, we got it. You have a restless soul. Never fear. We have exactly what it is you need. And you can categorize what it is they're offering in these three ways. Did you see them there? Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes and the pride of life. Let's look at them. Let's take the first one, the desires of the flesh. You you have a dissatisfied soul. You have a restless soul. You're searching for meaning, hope, peace. You're searching for purpose. It's okay. Here's what we have to offer. That is the desire of the flesh. This is certainly lust in all of its forms and sexual desire outside of how the Bible describes it, Um, but it could also include things like gluttony and laziness, the, the desires of the flesh would be um, to, to be dominated by your senses, to do whatever feels good, because if you do whatever feels good, that will fix it, or will it? But, but that's, that's, listen, the, the world sometimes whispers it ever so slightly. It, it allures you and, and pulls you in. Sometimes it screams it loudly. Sometimes it whispers it and pulls it. We have it. We've got it you're looking for it, you're restless, you, you, you feel broken, you feel in deep need, it's okay, we've had the desires of the flesh, come on in, come on in. It, it's, a, it's a click away, it's, a, it's right there, right? It, it's, it's laziness, it's hey, you know what, just take a nap, you know, just lay around, no big deal, it, it, it's gluttony, right? I mean, who has ever felt that aching in their soul and you see a big bucket of fried chicken and you go, there it is, there is the answer right? Of course, you eat it and then you feel terrible. But, but for that moment, if we're honest, doesn't in that moment, doesn't it seem to be working a little bit? How about this one? The desires of the eyes. Again, this, this begins with the coveting heart. You, you have that aching in your soul. You have that drive, that desire for something. You don't quite know what it is, but then all of a sudden, boom, there it is. It's an iPad, right? It looks great. I mean, have you seen those things? I mean, they're, they're shiny. They're, I mean, you can get a new one. You can get an old one. doesn't matter. They're cool. They're fun. You can watch video. You can do whatever you want to on this great thing. And so all you have to do is buy it. And, and, and maybe that's not your thing. But I mean, what about a four-wheeler? I mean, who doesn't like a four-wheeler? I mean, has anybody ever rode a jet ski? I mean, those, how can you not smile when you're riding a jet ski? Those things are great. It's the desires of the eyes. You see it, it's shiny, it's great. You get your credit card, heck with it, we'll pay it off later. Swipe the credit card and now you got it. You saw it, you desired it, you bought it. And and for that moment when you're enjoying it, whether it's a a, a bass boat, a jet ski, a new house, a new car, I mean, who doesn't feel better about themselves when you go and you get yourself a nice pair of new jeans and a shirt and you put it on, you stand in the mirror and you go, yeah, yeah feel better about myself, feel better about the world a little bit. It's the desires of the eyes which drive us to, to purchase and to buy and to get more things and more stuff and rack more debt on our credit card. But again, I ask you, in that moment, doesn't it, doesn't it feel like it's almost working a little bit? How about this one? The third thing we saw in First John 2.16 was the pride of life. This pride of life, that word life there can also be understood as livelihood. So so this is the person who says, you know what, I don't care about the stuff. I I, I don't care about the physical pleasures. Um, What's really gonna satisfy my soul is to be successful. I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna start my own business or I'm gonna work extra hard at the company that I'm in so that I can move up the ladder so that I can get the promotion so that I'll be well-respected, well-thought-of. People will think that I've got it all together because I am successful. That's the pride of life or the pride of livelihood. It's that ache in your soul which drives you to achieve and to be successful and and to come out on top and to make your way up the corporate ladder. And once you get to the top, then finally you will be satisfied. Now, here's why I think those things can, can sometimes feel like they're working. Um, it's like having a broken leg or a broken arm and, and giving it a numbing agent. Putting a, a numbing salve over the broken leg. Again, for the moment, it feels like it's working. I was like rolling around on the floor in terrible pain, but, but, but it's numb now. It's not fixed. And, and, and if the problem isn't really addressed, it's gonna heal back in a, in a really distorted way. So, so when, when you're looking at these things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, all of these things in the moment seem like they're working, but really all they're doing is putting a numbing agent on a broken leg. It, it doesn't ultimately solve the problem. It doesn't ultimately satisfy the restless soul. Again, the answer is Christ. The answer is, is Christ. The lie that the world is whispering every day is that we have what you want. And and so again, even us who are believers in the room, it's scary because those, those lies are being whispered to us every day. And so the question for the believer is, will I fall prey to those lies? As the waves and waves of lies from the world come crashing down on me, will I, the believer, crumble to them? As the world is sometimes whispering, we have what you want, we have what you need. As the world is sometimes shouting, we have the solution, we can heal your broken soul. Come on in. Will I, the believer, succumb to those lies? Verse four and five in our text today. Verses four and five in chapter five of 1 John For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? So the answer, Christian, to your question, if you're saying, am I going to succumb? Am I gonna fall beneath the waves and waves of lies of the world as saying, come on, we have what you want. Come on, we have the solution. The answer is no. Those who believe in Jesus overcome the world. We overcome the lies of the world. We reject the lies of the world. No, it's not just a click away. No, it's not in that relationship. No, it's not in that new house. No, it's not in that car. It's, it's not in any of those things. Our satisfaction is to be found in Christ alone. I can't hang it on my marriage. I can't hang it on my children. Those are not eternal things. They they can't hold the weight of an eternal soul. That's that's the main problem with all the things that the world has to offer. They're, They're offering you temporal things saying they can hold an eternal weight and they simply can't. They simply can't, but God can. God can. So Christians have overcome the world We have overcome the lie. It was made to trip us up, but it will not. Sometimes we might stumble, but ultimately we will not fall. As believers, we have overcome the world's system that offers a false hope, a false joy, and a false rest. We have overcome the victory as we proclaim, as what we see in Psalm 16, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Christians, we've, we've overcome the world. We've overcome the lie that the world tells us, but wait, there's more. If, if that isn't incredible enough, there, there's even more to what John is saying. It's not just that we have overcome the lie from the world and, and have obtained this great victory. There's more to the victory. This is not only a victory for us here and now, but this is a secured victory in the future, Meaning this, upon his return, we will spend eternity resting and enjoying him. We will find the ultimate satisfaction for our souls forever. That's how we've overcome the world. It's not only here and now to where our souls can find rest in him and be satisfied in him, but upon his second coming, there will be an even greater rest and even greater satisfaction for our restless souls found in him forever. Forever. That's the victory. That's what we get. I mean, it's like, welcome to the family. Here's all the stuff you get. Like this, this should shock us and blow our minds to understand that, that everything that, that the world is out there searching for, they're, they're grasping at it, trying to catch it, trying to, to, to maintain it, trying to figure out what it is, but it just always slips through their fingers. It always dissolves and goes into nothing. And then they're on to the next thing trying to find the answer. And here we are as believers knowing the truth overcoming the lies of the world knowing that there is a greater victory to come which is forever with Jesus with a satisfied soul in him so if that prize is so great how can i be sure that it's mine okay so again to to summarize let's let's summarize what we've seen thus far. One, number one, I have overcome the world by not believing the lie that the world can satisfy my soul. And two, I get a forever victory with Jesus in heaven for eternity. So that is incredible. That is amazing. That's why we sing. That's why we sang, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, that we sang that because of that. And if that victory, if that is so amazing, how can I be sure that that victory is mine? Now, if you've been going along in this study with us, you know that that is a great concern of John. He's, he's writing this letter so that people can be sure that that great victory that we're talking about is theirs. He wants them to be sure. He wants them to know that they're saved. He wants them to know they're Christians. He wants them to rest their hope, their, their, their meaning, their purpose, their joy in Jesus. And he wants them to know that they have overcome the world, that they have already obtained that victory that Christ won for them on the cross. He wants them to know, to be sure, 110%. And so what we see in our text today is the tests. John has sprinkled these tests of assurance all throughout his book. Sometimes he's paired one and two together. Sometimes he's paired three and one together. Um, so sometimes he's just talked about just one of these tests. But here in, in these verses, we, we hear of this great, fantastic victory, which we have just learned of. But then he shows us all three tests in this short section. He says, you wanna know if that victory's, the is amazing. <laughs> and you wanna be sure that it's yours? Well, great, here are three ways that you can know that that victory is yours. Another way to say it is, here are three ways that you can know you're a Christian. Meaning, if I fail these tests, then my salvation is suspect. If I can say yes and I pass these tests, then I can say, I'm certain I'm a Christian. Let's take a look at them. Verse one, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Okay, so everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Look down at verse four again, okay? For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Okay, so, so verse one, uh, if you believe in Jesus, you've been born of God. Uh, at, at the end of verse one, again, we see whoever has been born of him. Okay, so so there's, there's this thing, of, he's talking about being born of God. And then in verse four, we see that those who are born of God overcome the world or obtain the victory. Okay? So again, the question is, how can I know that, that that victory is for me? Answer, you've been born of God. How can I know that victory is mine? You've been born of him. Salvation is a mysterious act of God. God is the one who saves people. He is the author of salvation. To be born of God means that God has has saved you. This is exactly what we see in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but you have been made alive to Christ or have been born of God. Uh, how about this one? We, we all know this one. Uh, Jesus uh, talking with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You, you remember this, this back and forth? So, so this guy comes, he's a very religious guy. Uh, he says to Jesus, um, how, how does someone enter into the kingdom of heaven? What does Jesus tell him? <coughs> yeah, you must be born again. This is very confusing for Nicodemus. He said, how, how can I be born again? Or how can I be born? That doesn't make any sense. Am, am I supposed to enter into my mother's womb a second time is the question that he asks? And, and we all go, no, <laughs> no, that's very weird. Please, no. So, so, then, so then Jesus replies, um, you, you know, uh, you, can't, you can't hear the wind. I mean, you can't see the wind, but you can hear it, right? It, it, it comes in, it blows. The, the wind blows where it wishes or the, the spirit moves however it wants is, is what he's saying there. So his answer to Nicodemus's question, how can I be born again? He says, the spirit does what he wants, right? So, so we can laugh and cut up and say all the time, I do what I want, but the, the, the spirit is the only one who does what he wants. So how is, how is one saved? Um, it, it, you know that you've been born of God when the spirit comes in and makes you born of, of God. Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart. That's God doing that. That's God giving, he says, I will, God's saying that. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove that heart of stone from your heart of flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That, that's an act of God. Being born of God is an act of God. That's, that's what we see exactly here in Ezekiel 36. Now, who remembers Ezekiel 37? In, incredible scene. Right after he says that, that's, that's chapter 36, In chapter 37, there is Ezekiel and he's standing in the valley of dry bones, meaning he's standing there and there was a great battle and and lots of people being killed and and there's skeletons and body parts everywhere and and the the flesh had rotted away and he's standing there looking at this great scene where all these bones are and and God says to Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy to these bones And, and so he prophesies to the bones and all of a sudden there was this great rattling and all the bones start clicking together. And and then he says, prophesy to him again. Prophesy to the wind. And so he does, and the wind, the, the spirit sweeps in and makes that great army alive. Incredible scene. And all of that is a picture of what it means to be born of God. So how can I know that that victory is mine? Well, that victory is mine when I've been born of God. Well, What's the next question then? I want to know that great victory you just talked about, overcoming the world, being forever with Jesus, ultimately satisfied soul. I want to know that victory is mine. Well, you can know that victory is yours if you've been born of God, which is a supernatural act of God to where he makes you alive. Well, how do I know I've been made alive? John seeks to answer those questions for you. The first test is this, number one, the theological test, the theological test. Look back at verse one again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, that is the theological test, meaning you must affirm right doctrine. If you do not affirm right doctrine, you are not a Christian, okay? Um, The right doctrine is right there. Everyone who believes that Jesus is, is the Christ or the Messiah, meaning he is the one who was foretold of in the Old Testament, meaning he's the one who came. He is fully God, fully man. He showed up to die in our place for our sins. He's the Christ, he's the Messiah. That is substitutionary atonement. He died in our place for our sins. This is the test of theology. If you do not agree with what I just said, that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, and he has come to die in your place for your sins, if you don't agree with that, then you're not a Christian. If you agree with that, then you are. That's, That's exactly what he's saying. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has necessarily has been born of God. Okay, so uh, does that, when we say uh, the the theological test, does that mean that we have to have all of our theology 110% correct? No, no, it doesn't. But what it does mean is that you must have the knowledge necessary for salvation, okay? Which is what I just said. You're a sinner in need of grace. You cannot do anything to save yourself. Jesus Christ came to live the life you should have lived and he died the death you should have died in your place for your sins and by faith in his person and work, we can be saved. That's the knowledge necessary for salvation, okay? You guys still with me? Okay, that's the the theological test or the test of true belief. In this passage, we also see the moral test or the test of true obedience. Look at verses two through three. By this we know, okay, by this we know, that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Okay, did you see that in there? So, so how do I know I'm a Christian? How do I know I'm a believer? How do I know that victory that you were talking about is for me? Well, it's by being born of God. How do I know I'm born of God? Uh, well, you pass the theological test. You also pass the moral test, which is here, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. So you obey the Bible. You have a heart that says, I am seeking to live like the Bible is calling me to live. Meaning your heart does not say, I know the Bible says this, but when your heart says, I know the Bible says not to do this, But if that is the overarching voice in your heart, your salvation is suspect. I fear one of the greatest problems in the church in the South is that we have given far too many people false assurance. You came forward, you marked the card, you repeated the prayer, and you're good. I mean, you're good. You just got saved, congratulations. That is a scary and dangerous thing. So that's why John here is pointing us clearly to these marks of a believer. He's pointing us clearly to these points which show us we have been born of God. Just to be clear, when we say the moral test or the test of true obedience, we're saying this is, a, this is not a snapshot of your life but it is a movie reel. Let me explain that. So so when we say, are you obeying the Bible? Right? Who in here says 110% absolutely, I obey everything in the Bible every day. Right? Okay, good. No one raised their hands. No one raised their hands because no one does that. So does that mean we have now failed the moral test, the the test of true obedience? Does that mean that we're not obeying God? Well, uh, you have to understand, uh, John here is not calling for perfectionism. Um, he, he is not saying that there is not a snapshot in your life um, where there is no sin. Okay, so so again, uh, imagine I'm I'm out and I'm, I'm working on uh, my barn. You know, I I hit my uh, you know, finger with a hammer. I you know yell a loud cuss word. I kick my dog and and that if you took that snapshot right there, you okay, boom, gotcha. Here's the picture. You have not obeyed Jesus. You are not a Christian. Okay, no, it's it's not. It's not a snapshot, it's a movie reel. Afterwards, I go and pet my dog and ask for his forgiveness. You know, like, so so there, what, what I'm saying is is that a Christian will have a pattern of obedience. Does that make sense? The, the Christian, it's not that the Christian doesn't stumble, but the Christian gets up and continues to move forward. It's not that the Christian is everything that he is supposed to be, but it's that the Christian is more than what he once was. Okay? That, that is the test of obedience. It's the heart that says, I want to obey the Bible, and I'm, I'm doing everything I can to do it. In and, and those areas where, where I know I'm falling, I'm asking for help, and I'm trying everything I know how to do to obey Jesus and to, and to serve him. What's so incredible, th- this is a huge key to understanding this moral test. You've got to look back at it. for th- uh, Verse 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. It doesn't doesn't say that the commandments aren't difficult. It says they're not burdensome, what God asks us to do and how God asks us to live. As I thought about this text this week, I, I thought about my daughter, okay? Now, is it, parents, is it difficult raising children? Okay, understatement of the century. But it's not a burden, is it? It shouldn't be. They're beautiful. I mean, It's not a burden, it's hard, it's hard, but it's not a burden because you love them and it's not a burden to obey God or to seek to obey his commandments because you love them. Third test. Again, we're seeking to know if that victory is mine. We're seeking to know if I've been born of God. Third test. The love test or the test of true devotion. Devotion. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. That's verse 1. We, we, If we have been born of God, we will love those who have been born of him, meaning we love other Christians. So do you love other Christians? Are you seeking to do life side by side with other believers? Have you found a local church that you're getting into, that you're making connections and building relationships with people? Are you seeking to live life alongside other Christians? Are you attending weddings and birthdays and anniversaries? Are you Are you sitting down at the table with other Christian brothers and sisters and sharing meals together? Are you shouldering the burdens of other Christian brothers and sisters? Are you rejoicing with those who rejoice and are you weeping with those who, weep if so that shows that you love them and if you love them if you love christians if you're saying i want to serve and love other brothers and sisters in christ with without without any conditions placed on that i just want to love and serve other christians that shows that you have been born of god like i said last week because non-believers don't do that Non-Christians are not kicking in our back door saying, I'm here to love and serve you guys with no conditions at all. Non-believers don't do that. That's what believers do. That's what believers do. So, are you born of God? Can you say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. Yes, I want to obey his commands. And yes, I love other believers. If you say yes to those things, then the victory is yours. That that victory that we talked about, the victory of overcoming the world, the the victory of, of forever with Jesus, the victory of the satisfied soul here and now and the ultimately satisfied soul with Jesus forever in heaven, that victory is yours when we say yes to those tests. So let's read this whole section again and I'll try to get out of your way. Here we go. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Um, j- just some quick thoughts. Um, if you're out there today, okay, um, if you've come in this morning and you feel yourself being drawn to pornography, Um. Don't do it. Why? Because it won't do what it is you want it to do. If you're there this, here this morning and you're looking to pin all of your hopes and all of your dreams on a spouse, don't do that. Why? Because it won't do what you want it to do, which is satisfy your soul. If you're here this morning and you're tempted to pour everything into your children by by seeing them raised up to be good moral citizens, you might ultimately be satisfied. Don't do that because pouring all of your hopes and all of your dreams into your children won't ultimately do what you want it to do. Now, Now, does that mean we shouldn't parent? Well, of course not what I'm talking about is placing your ultimate hope and your ultimate satisfaction. Your spouse can't do it. Your children can't do it. If, if you're tempted to run to substances, they won't do what you're trying to get them to do. Only only Jesus, only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul and you have the victory now and forever. The victory is in Jesus. I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. And now he gave his life on Calvary to save someone like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sin and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath his cleansing blood. Let's pray. Oh God, we are so grateful this morning. Our hearts are overwhelmed with joy because of this great victory. This victory that you have won for us that our souls were broken and marred stained and tattered and we were forever to wander the earth seeking to find how we might satisfy our souls and we would have never found an answer unless you sent Jesus. But you sent him and you offer him to us. You say, here he is. Come and kneel down before him. Come and worship him. Come and love him. Come and serve him and find your soul's rest. And you say, ultimately, our souls will find our greatest rest in him when you return. And that is the victory. And we are so grateful this morning for those truths. I pray that they would land squarely on our hearts this morning, that we would leave with a sense of joy, looking at the world and knowing this is a scary place, this is a hard place, this is a dark place, but we have the victory. Allow that to create an overwhelming joy in our hearts and in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.